You're listening to the Salty Sex Cast with Mariah and friends. Minimize the fear. Expand your awareness. Hello, welcome back to the Salty Sex Cast. It is Mariah here. Um, I am so excited to introduce you to one of a new guest, a new friend who hasn't been on the podcast yet, but I've heard wonderful things about and I've listened to other so- shows she's been on. But thank you for joining me. I have Cecile Gesnell, and um, she is all the way on the other side of the globe. So, already a day ahead. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining me on Zoom. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Maria, for having me on this show. Uh, I am on the other side of the world. I'm in Singapore right now. So So awesome. How's the weather? Tell me it's better than right now for me. (laughs) Uh, It's warm and sunny, like it's uh, an equatorial climate. So it's always warm and sunny and with quite a bit of rain, uh, but just in the afternoon. So very lovely. Love it. First day of spring. Um, and it's snowing here in Utah. So, but that's usual. <laughs> so I will just pretend I'm over there in Singapore with you. It sounds lovely. Um, but Cecile is the brand director for Smile Makers, which is a sexual wellness brand, mainly for vulva owners. Um, so tell me how you connected with Smile Makers and, and I'd love to hear more about the brand, but kind of your personal journey first. Okay, great. Um, so I joined Smile Makers very, very early on in the adventure. Um, and what really got me into that project was like my personal take on my personal perception on the topic of sexuality, which is like from a young age, I was always very uh, bewildered by how sex is either very tabooed and shame whereas it was quite obvious that that was something that a lot of people enjoy and that's this is where we come from we come from people having sex um, and on the other side of a way that sex is everywhere in movies in media in advertising uh, in conversation but in a way that feels very uh, based on power play a power play between genders between people a lot of performance you need to mm-hmm. tell certain things you need to do certain things you need to navigate through a very scripted narrative about this is how you should behave and live your sex life and I always found it very strange and it's unsatisfying and really not reflecting correctly what I was seeing around me from my friends in the conversation that I was having so the idea that we could create a brand so that people could find vibrators, lubricants, sexual wellness products in mainstream places and really like embrace the fact that sex is a natural part of our lives. It's part of our everyday life. And to reflect that in the way that we can find products that are related to sex, I found it very powerful as a way to, com- to reframe the conversation about sex, to normalize the topic of female pleasure, Basically, I was very excited because it felt very healthy mm-hmm. and very transformative as well. Um, so that's how like my personal 
journey as a person um, and that professional adventure that really intersected and I was really keen to join on the project and work on building a brand that would reframe the topic of female pleasure, the conversation about it. And so it's not just a matter of like developing products and selling products. It was really like, it took us 10 years. Like we launched the brand 10 years ago. It took us like 10 years to land some of the, our biggest retailers today to convince retailers that, yes, this is a category that belongs on your shelves. And that's why. And like the, the whole rationale to justify that it, it is a wellness category was very simple. It was the fact that you have a lot of um, scientific studies that document the physical and mental health benefit of sexual pleasure. So there were a lot of really reasonable, sensible uh, reason to like look at vibrators and uh, sexual product as a wellness category. Mm-hmm. But despite that, because of the very deeply rooted stigma around the topic of sex, it's really been like a journey of convincing um, retailers, journalists to look at it differently uh, without all the drama, all the fuss that comes with it. But it was, it's been very challenging. Um, and now I think we see that mindsets are changing. There's definitely more openness. It's becoming easier to convince new retailers to launch uh, vibrators uh, alongside makeup or clothing or yoga mats. Um, Other electronics. Sometimes I see them. There's a big electronic store chain that has a sexual wellness section on their website. Um, So really I'm hearing a, a call a need to rebrand sex. Yes, absolutely. To rebrand it as something, again, healthy, normal, um, and also very personal because like I've mentioned earlier that there is, when we are allowed to talk about sex, it's always in a way where we have to put on a show to a certain extent. We have to engage with our sexual selves and as sexual being in a way that is very scripted mm-hmm. or uh, like for women or vo- and vulvas it's very it can even be a lot of contradictory messages like you need to be sexually active but not too much like there's this whole madonna complex that is really like woven into that narrative around female sexuality uh, and the problem with that is that so many people feel inadequate in their sex life. Like they feel that the way that they're experiencing their sexual self is not normal, uh, which mm-hmm. is a very common question that we get as well. Like, oh, I'm doing that, is that normal? Um, and the way we see it by having talked to so many of our owners around the world and to having worked with many sexual health experts, be gynecologists, sexologists, sex therapists, uh, really working with a lot of research on the topic of female pleasure and of pleasure of human sexuality. On the foundation of consent, any sexual expression is valid, uh, but that's not what we see when we look at movies or how we see sex represented uh, in pop culture, for example. It's a lot more standardized. Yeah. And that's also something that we really want to reframe is the fact that sex, it is a universal experience 
and it is also a very personal experience. It's a bit like it's a bit like I don't know love or like all those big topics in life. Like it's like eating food. Eating exactly. <laughs> like we don't all like the same things. We're not hungry all at the same times or in the same measure. Uh, and our diets might evolve uh, uh, along our lives and we might discover new dishes we like. That's a great metaphor, actually. That's a fun. <laughs> it's a perfect metaphor. Um, and it is, it is a, a, a very strong physiological need that we, that we have as well. Mm-hmm. So, so it is universal and it is very personal as well. Uh, yeah. So the main, you know, mainstream media and the messages most women and and Volvo owners are getting is it's performative. Um, I'm supposed to be doing this. It's supposed to be doing that. Um, These are all the messages I'm mostly getting, but then I feel very inadequate because I'm not, um, or my experience wasn't like that, or I'm supposed to act like this. And this is what the end result is supposed to be. Um, it can be very, very excuse, uh, confusing. And you were even brought up the Madonna complex and on all of that, that um, confuses, sends really hard messages, especially to young, um, young folks who are going through changes and all sorts of things. I just remember walking around thinking, I am not like others. I am, something's wrong with me. Something's, you know, I'm wrong. I'm bad. When really it was perfectly normal, perfectly normal, but years walking around, not understanding because I didn't either have the education or the proper messaging around sexuality and just bodily autonomy and everything else. (laughs) So I think this is not just a gender issue in the sense that having a, a very performance driven script around what sex should be also affects penis havers, mm-hmm. um, probably does so in different ways, but like the cha- this challenge of deconstructing those limiting beliefs that we have around sex, that would benefit all genders and all sexual expression. And that's why I found that the, all the conversation around LGBTQIA plus identities is a universal conversation because it's it's a conversation about really embracing who you are as a sexual being and mm-hmm. that's valid and important for everyone. And then as we build a society that is safer for LGBTQIA+, we're doing it, building a society that is safer for everyone and that is more ex- inclusive for everyone and that is more accepting of everyone's uniqueness. Um, and ultimately that would be liberating for everybody and that, that's why it's such an important fight to fight. Uh, it, it is ultimately like having an impact that is very universal as well. Yeah. I mean, you're very obviously passionate about this message. I mean, so you going to um, Smile Makers and being a part of this um, rebranding of sex is what we'll call it, right? This messaging of, of health of, um, you know, personal experience too. It's not, it's like you said, it's a universal, but it's very unique as well. Um, what are some other challenges besides mainstream messaging and other things that you're finding to get your, um, 
message and, and along with products, your products are kind of like the secondary thing, right? That's just the avenue of getting this pleasure focused, um, sexual experience. Um, when we started like the brand and we started having traction, so we got our products on shelves on, of some retailers and we had our own e-shop and through our own website and our social media, we had the opportunity to interact directly with Volvo owners and really in different places around the world because the brand from the very beginning was sold in Asia, in North America, in Europe. Um, what we observed was that we were getting a lot of questions about our products and not just about the products, but for example, on the products, we would get a lot of questions about what toys should I get? Um, how do you use this one? I don't understand, so especially for external products that are meant to be used on the vulva and the clitoris. There seemed to be quite a bit of confusion and we realized by asking a lot of questions that it was because people expected more vibrators to be penetrative, penetrative products. Mm-hmm. Um, and to give you an example, we have a clitoral toy called the firefighter. So it's flame shaped and it has around the nose that is applied on the glands of the clitoris and the flame shape around it stimulates the labia around the clitoral glands. And someone once asked, oh, but how do you reach the G spot with this vibrator? And it looks very uh, pointy. And so we had to say, oh, actually that this is a clitoral vibrator. So you use it on the vulva, you don't use it inside the vagina. And we realized that what was holding us back to like, I mean, has a society to really um, understand all these products, but also how to get more pleasure by yourself and with a partner was how we are not well educated on our pleasure, on mm. our pleasure anatomy, on getting curious about what feels good for us, communicating around pleasure with our partners, um, and really changing our like broadening our definition of what sex is, uh, how pleasure plays a part in that, um, and what sex with a partner is as well. So that's why we ended up developing a whole pleasure-focused sex education program that is specifically on the topic of uh, pleasure for vulva owners. So it's really anatomy-based to some extent. So we go into the, the depth of the anatomy of the clitoris, the anatomy of the vagina, the anatomy of the anal and perianal region, uh, erogenous zones, and we really dive into where the science is today on all uh, those organs. And we have the knowledge because we use it when we develop products. So we're like, we understand those organs and how they play a role in pleasure. And that is transformative to understand your body better. Mm-hmm. And also in the aspect, like earlier, we talk about food and it's the same for nutrition. If you understand better how your metabolism work, what kind of ingredients is going to make you feel better and like feel more rested and feel feel more fed and more energized it's a bit the same for sex like if you understand that for example clitoral stimulation plays such a major role in pleasure for vulva owners that more than 75 percent of vulva owners need external stimulation on and around the clitoral glands to climax then that you feel a lot more normal to ask for it if you are with a partner Yes. instead of uh, 
feeling that there is something wrong with you if you're not climaxing from penetration alone, mm -hmm. which is only the case of like 15% of our owners can uh, orgasm from just penetrative sex. Um, so we really like developed a sex education program on the topic of pleasure for all the owners. Um, and then we put it online available uh, for free so that some people can just take the videos. But we also run workshops with, for example, student associations, family planning organization, female health organization. And whenever we do those workshops, it is really uh, interesting to see how people regardless of their age, feel that they wish they had been taught that when they were younger, mm -hmm. a lot younger, even before they started engaging with other people sexually, but already because they were maybe sexually active with themselves um, and they wanted to understand better. Like the, a lot of people find that quite liberating when we uh, suggest to change some of the words that we use when we talk about sex. For example, instead of talking about foreplay, we invite people to, take about, to talk about outer course mm. versus intercourse. And the reason for that is that foreplay implies a hierarchy and a certain order of things between the different sex acts that you do some, some things and then you do penetrative sex and then you stop. Mm -hmm. And it can be fine if it's just outer course. Exactly. That, and that's where it ends or, or you know, whatever. Well, you can and it do doesn't have to end course. in climax. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Uh, what, I mean, you know, you brought up a great point of changing the language, um, creating safety and exploring these topics. But the language change has been amazing vulva owners, just how inclusive that is. Um, and then, you know, definitely trying to use vulva versus vagina. Cause I think that was even a, in adulthood for me. I'm like, what's a vulva. <laughs> I mean, I'd heard it maybe in a book or something, but really learning like, Oh, that's all the outer. Okay. Now I understand. Um, but from the brand name smile makers, like that's not intrusive. It's not aggressive. It's not hypersexualized. Um, and it's, nor is it like demanding, right? It's not like pleasure only or yeah. <laughs> whatever. So then it feels like, Oh, well, I have to walk her. away with this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I I'd love to hear a little bit on even how, what made you choose the name, um, or, you know, the smile makers, how did that name originate? Um, we knew we wanted to have a very joyful brand, uh, again, to, to embrace the fact that sex is a very normal part of life, and it's something that a lot of people really love. It's very joyful, like you can, you can have a great time, you can love doing sex, and it is, um, it is a great experience of life where you feel very alive, or you feel very connected, either to yourself or with a partner. Um, so we knew we wanted something that would really convey joyfulness. And we also wanted uh, to reflect the fact that we wanted to use humor, uh, in the branding to break the ice and start the conversation. And there I would say, we knew we had a pitfall to avoid, which was to use humor to avoid actually talking about the topic mm. of sex and pleasure. 
um, which was always a bit complicated at first because the fact that we had this, this brand name and our product name, the, the way we named the product is that we surveyed Volvo owners all around the world about their fantasies when we developed the first collection. And we kept the fantasies that were the most popular and worked from one country to the other. So for example, we didn't keep the plumber because he would work in like Australia, but not in Japan, things like that. Um, so we had a first collection that was named after fantasies and that naming convention really had people cracking up a smile when they saw the products. Um, and it allowed us to use a lot of metaphors to mm. talk about the products without being too explicit which again, 10 years ago, it was really complicated to be very direct and explicit if you wanted to sell in mainstream retail. And at the time we really wanted to focus on mainstream retail. So we are not selling in sex shops at all. We are really just focused on opening up and creating the category for mainstream retail. And at the time we even called the Vibrators massagers, intimate massagers. And if you read the product description on the box, it's really funny. Like, Nowhere did we say that it was a vibrator, like a G-spot area vibrator or clitoral vibrator. We were very uh, elusive and we were using the metaphors that the product name allowed us uh, to talk about the product without being too direct. And what's been very interesting is that using humor to make people comfortable worked really nice. But the limit of that was that us not being direct and clear enough meant that a lot of people did not understand what the products were at first. Mm. So we evolved our communication to gradually become a lot more direct and ex explicit. And I remember the first time we actually used the word orgasm on an Instagram post. We were very nervous because first we thought that Instagram was going to just take down the post because they are really strict in a way that is really frustrating around the topic of sexual oh, wellness. Yes. Yes, I'm currently um, unable to meet Reach right now. It just plummeted because I had a post get flagged and, and it had nothing. It was like so G-rated compared to other things that I posted. <laughs> I was so frustrated. I was like, ah, but so yes, it is, it is the hard thing to post and educate. When all of this is empowerment and education, it is not sleazy or just out to get money or just to be um, popular or anything like that. It really is to try to empower others in their wellness. And so it's, yes, I'm right there with you on the frustration. Yeah. And it's not like using, because there are so many super sexual posts that are basically using the female body just to sell everything and anything, perfume, coffee, ice cream, you name it. Mm -hmm. The moment you actually want to talk about the female body in a way that is educated and respectful and healthy, then that gets disapproved, which really drives me crazy. But when we posted and used the word orgasm, our engagement rate really like spiked. And it was not just like, it was not like male users were like, oh, great sexual content. It mm -hmm. was like really like all the, the Volvo owners in our community and our audience were like super excited that we were like opening up to have a frank and adult discussion on the topic in a way that was still very respectful, very joyful and using humor. So that's why the name Smile Makers is about using humor to break the ice, but then we need to have the real conversation. Like it is an enabler, humor is an enabler. It's not the end game. The end game is to create 
spaces where people are comfortable to talk about sex openly and respectfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the, the big reward of uh, that branding is to like be able to have that conversation with vulva owners all around the world. And that's mm-hmm. the part of my job that I really love the most. Oh, I love that. You had just enough humor to break the ice, to make me feel comfortable, but not enough or, but not too much that I don't feel safe anymore. You know, my experience is going to be laughed at or made fun of or anything. It's not, this isn't stand up comedy. This is you know, your pleasure, which yeah, is really important. Easy. Oh, it's not like locker room humor, like, mm-hmm. oh, ha 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 ha. Uh, but it's about being cheeky. Uh, and then, and then actually we, we ask a lot of questions to our audience. Like we asked them about, um, like recently we asked them, what is good sex for you? And it was so interesting. Like so many people came up with different answers, which really, which really goes to show how unique our experience of sex is and how our preferences of sex are unique as well. Like we don't all expect the same thing or hope the same things for ourselves. Uh, when it comes to us, our sex lives. Mm, so different um, sexual goals, um, what's important, what stems yeah. out to them. Um, I love that, that that is unique too. And then they aren't just allowing media to drive that, right? Or or pornography to drive that. Um, you know, I'm just thinking of all like the, even the sex scenes in all movies, it's always like, you know, they both climax at the same time, roll over and go, Oh, was that great for you? (laughs) I'm like, I don't think that's ever happened in my life. Never (laughs) once. Um, uh, definitely not without some, some tools, (laughs) some support. And it's more of like timing, like, hold on, wait, (laughs) it's never just naturally. Um, so it's just, it's comical that way. We can laugh at that stuff. So, um, you know, definitely pleasure focused. Um, how has that changed and morphed over with messaging and anything, any pushback on that as well? Um, that's a very good question. Has there been any pushback on, you know, frankly, no. Like, I think people were really craving, well, the the pushback is the one that you and I have mentioned a few minutes ago, which is social media is not, like the algorithm are definitely a huge challenge when you're driving a a sex education platform uh, because they don't differentiate between sleazy content or or what is actually research content that is based on the conversation that you're having with the whole community of people. But other than that, people are really, really craving that kind of, those kind of conversations mm-hmm. uh, everywhere and at all ages, which is so amazing to see. So I've run workshops around sex education in Singapore, in Malaysia, in the US, in Canada, in France, uh, in the UK, uh, and it's quite amazing to see how everywhere people feel that there is a lot of, there are still a lot of taboos and that they haven't been able to have the conversations they wish they had about sex 
um, that they wish that their bodies had been explained to them better because when we have sex education in schools, uh, and it's not just abstinence-based, it actually touches upon the reality of sex, it still is very focused on two things, reproductive health, so understanding what makes a baby uh, and how to not have a baby if you don't want to have a baby, mm -hmm. and sexual health, which is more around STI. Disease prevention, yes. Disease prevention, and all, the, all those things are very important. And it is very clear that in places where you don't have access to reproductive health education or sexual health education, it, has, it does have dramatic impact on public health because you have uh, people having abortions in conditions that are very dangerous for them uh, or the spread of STIs. Um, so very important. But it misses out completely on the topic of pleasure, which interestingly, studies have shown that uh, being exposed to pleasure positive sex education fosters safer sex behaviors. Because mm -hmm. it makes you more autonomous in your body. Uh, it makes you feel more confident as a sexual being. Uh, it makes you more educated on the topic of consent as uh, a recipient and someone asking. Uh, so it really does create a safer society and a more inclusive society to have pleasure sex education. Uh, now we've never tried to like work directly, for example, with state authorities or school authorities. We've always been directly working with student associations or family planning clinic, but they're really eager to have access to that, those kind of uh, knowledge um they're and still working around the red tape too <laughs> exactly and on the topic of for example just anatomy uh i know that working with young like women and vulva owners who have uh, undergone childbirth recently or young students or people going through menopause uh it's so interesting to see that at all ages if we have not had access to pleasure positive sex education, we will still have misunderstanding on our body or questions or feeling that our oh, sex, oh, resuming sex after having had a baby means having penetrative sex with my partner. Mm. When in fact, you could decide that resuming sexual activity with your partner after giving birth can, could be like taking a shower together, uh, giving each other a massage, sexting, uh, there's a lot of different things that are sexual in nature and that are part of your sex life and that are part of you resuming uh, sexual activity with your partner. But it's just that we've never been invited to look at it this way. Yes. So that's why what I found is that everybody's really interested in pleasure, in pleasure positive sex education because at all stages of life, it can be relevant. And it affirms my experience. Um, I don't feel like I'm wrong or different because no one brought it up. So if I'm having these feelings or this interest and I've only been taught anatomy and disease prevention and, you know, family planning <laughs> doesn't really help me to make me feel okay with what's going on or, um, to say no, when things don't feel right, right. I, 
uh, that is pure experience. And that is being, um, very, very negative experiences that until I had to learn to say no, and this is what my body was telling me. It does not want this. (laughs) It was really just, okay. Everything's wrong. If pleasure isn't important, um, besides, you know, uh, pregnancy or, or disease. Like that was really all I remember (laughs) like in education. So I'm so excited. We're, we have so many great resources and brands that are committed, not just to make a dollar, but really to educate and have a a strong mission around sexual empowerment and pleasure focused education. Um, and just to expand on what you were saying around like uh, feeling empowered to draw boundaries around what you want and don't want, we really like seeing it in, like in how in research like masturbation is something that is important for that. And to recognize masturbation as sex, it is solo sex, but it is sex. And that instead of asking someone which is a, a very personal question, but let's say a friend asks you, when was the last time you had sex? Instead of being like answering, oh, by that, they must mean at least partner sex, if not penetrative sex. Thinking, what was the last time I had an orgasm? And maybe that was the, mo- the morning, just this morning or the day before when you masturbated. It's very empowering because it really puts you in the driver's seat of your sex life and your needs and really embracing the fact that pleasure is part of your body experience and that you are able to give yourself pleasure it's not something that you're only given but it's something that you're able to give yourself Um, that is very empowering to be able to then draw better boundaries around what you want and don't want when you're engaging with partners and that's something that we also like really highlight when we do those workshops that there is nothing wrong with masturbation it's a very healthy expression Um, and it is also very useful to navigate one's sex life in a way that is satisfying and self-respecting because when you know what you want and what you like you're more likely to guide your partner better and interestingly like there is still like um a bridge between solo sex and partner sex that needs to be built. It's not because you're having a great sex life on your own that you're gonna have a great sex life with your partner. But if you are able to share and communicate safely with your partner about your pleasure preferences, then you're more likely to have a very happy sex life with them as happy as what you have on your own. Yeah, most of the time, you know, communicating that with a partner, um, felt weird or wrong because historically and, and, um, coming from Utah, um, religiously, we are not supposed to engage in that. And so it was really hard to be like, well, I know I like this because I know (laughs) and be like, I don't know, let's explore, um, (laughs) with a, with a spouse. Um, but it it's now it's even messaging like how do I say that to my kids and 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 making sure that they understand that's totally normal and totally fine and I don't have to give them details and I don't want to hear details but please I will always knock and that's always what I'm telling them and um and we definitely use humor in our home about that to normalize that experience 
because our society still in this state um, is still very anti um, and it's, it's a very interesting dynamic that we're always um, trying to move around. I mean, even me with the podcast, I don't tell my whole family, not a lot of people know in my family that I do this um, just because of the negative connotation it would have, which is really sad, but we'll get there one day. Um, we were working with, um, a sexologist, well, she's, she's more like a sexual health expert, um, from the Netherlands and she's worked specifically on sex education for children. Mm. And it's very interesting because basically, obviously the point is not to explain to children, I don't know how to, to do oral sex, obviously, but yeah. it's, it's just what she explained was so powerful what she said is like through language and all non-spoken language you're already doing sex education so if you don't talk about it if you are uh, creating a huge taboo around it you are educating your children in a certain way mm-hmm. uh, and they will go find the answers in any anyway uh, and they might find it on porn platforms which is such the the worst place to do your sex education like I don't think we should condemn all pornography. Uh, there's no. a lot of it that is problematic, but it is a, a masturbatory support. Like it is um, a, a, an expression for a lot of people as well. It's uh, a tool that can be abused like any yeah. other tool. Mm-hmm. Yes, but it is not a tool for sex education. No. Uh, it is entertainment. Um, and... And she was saying like, it's a matter of being, um, of helping them naming the, their body parts, the right nouns. And uh, very quickly, kids pick up on the fact that if you never call, for example, the genitals by a, a, a name that sounds as objective as when you call a nose, a nose, an arm, an arm, a finger, a finger, but you give it like a, a weird name, they will pick up on the fact that there's something strange happening around that area mm-hmm. uh, that we're not supposed to talk about um, and that has ramification later in life as well because it means that there's a lot especially for little girls and young girls a lot of shame around the vulva area and there's a whole business that's built on vulva shame like changing the appearance of the vulva changing the smell of the vulva doing surgical um, like plastic surgery on the vulva so it's a very, uh, it's a huge business that is built on the foundation that we've taught kids to be ashamed of their gender and especially young girls. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like you said, there's this huge business about this, that uh, when we have shame, it actually opens the door for predatory messaging, um, yes. either grooming and, and even plastic surgery. And, and that is still predatory. <laughs> that's not for wellness. There's some, some procedures definitely that are, you know, for medical reasons, but, um, I think that's what gets skipped over is that you're closing this off, but really it's opening all the messages that are coming in. They're going to go search for those internet messages or internet answers. And how do we know if it's a quality answer or not? Um, so I love that just investing in education 
if it's not for your own sexual wellness, please let it be for, you know, someone else in your life that you're sharing those messages around and, and everything. Um, so for, for smile makers, uh, you have your education platform, um, vulva talks and, um, all of your different products. What have, um, some of the like themes or trends that you're kind of seeing right now, currently? In terms of, uh, questions that people ask or. Yeah. Just any, anything that's kind of coming up to mind that you're like, oh, we haven't, we didn't see that a couple of years ago, but it's coming up quite a bit now. Let me have a think. That's a very good question. <laughs> uh, it's a very, very good question. Um, we've had more people engaging with us on the topic of vulva pleasure for transgender folks, mm. which is really interesting because we realized that so far the research that we had gathered that that was not uh, developed by us, but really by scientific research uh, and anatomical research was uh, on cisgender uh, vulva owners, uh, so women like who identify with the sex they were attributed at birth, um, and how the transgender experience can impact pleasure is very interesting because, uh, for example, if someone is a vulva owners and they're taking uh, hormones, that has an impact, for example, on clitoral growth. The glands mm -hmm. of the clitoral of the clitoris can grow and that is going to have an impact on how they experience pleasure that's also going to have an impact on how the vagina can lubricate uh, or actually lubricates less because they are oh. less estrogen in their blood flow and therefore if they still want to engage in penetrative sex they might need more lubricant so we've seen more interest for those topics and people being more like looking for information on that I think it's because first the conversation around the transgender experience has grown and the fact is that there's still very limited data like and again I mean by scientific data which is really what we refer to as smile makers on that topic but what I found like very interesting is that when you research those topics it's really like you have to it brings you back to better understanding the difference, like how the clitoris develops, how the vagina develops, uh, the nerve endings that are implied uh, in the pelvic floor anatomy. Um, so it is a very interesting topic to better understand female anatomy as well. So we've seen more questions around that and more content or like, or like requests around that. Um, the topic around sex education for children, I, I, I think is someone like people are, a lot of people are like, oh, it's so great to have access to sex education. Uh, and I wish I had that younger, but then I want to raise my kids in a way that makes them feel more, a lot less shamed, a lot more empowered to like love their body, embrace their identity as a sexual being, because be respectful uh, really like internalized consent at something very natural and effortless and uh, so we, we do get a lot of question around that 
And then what is interesting as well is that the, the conversation around sexuality is becoming more at, atomized and personalized. Like people are more asking about specific moments of life. Like we're gonna have questions about, oh, um, sexual well-being and perimenopause or menopause or mm. sexual well-being after childbirth or sexual well-being when you have PCOS or when you have vaginismus. So it's really interesting to see that awareness is growing about all those topics that are related to female health and how that intersects with sexual well-being. So it is nascent, but the, the interest on those much more specific topics is really growing and that's something very exciting and for us that's a very interesting challenge because we basically need to up our game continually and make sure that we really stay up to date with the latest research and working with sexologists to make sure that we can bring educated answers to all those questions that we are receiving oh i love that and that you're not just shooting in the dark you don't know what you don't know exactly <laughs> and and let's just make a, a request out there to all the research scientists out there. We need more representative data for all walks of life, all experiences. Um, I think, yeah, just, just even alone knowing what research is out there, um, where so many medications were, weren't, you know, females, women weren't in those research. Um, but you know, you brought up the the orgasm gap. And this is kind of, it's a good thing that we're talking about it, that it becomes more, you know, the awareness is there, but I have noticed there is the other side of that spectrum where folks start getting a little defensive, um, and think the reason we are bringing up the orgasm gap is to blame a certain sex when we aren't, we're really just saying historically, we have not been you know, treated the same way or as sexual beings, you know, vulva owners. Um, and we want to be, and we are asking for more research, asking for more education, asking for more, um, products that are out there. Is there anything that you found when you talk about the orgasm gap, like the reactions or, you know, is it shock or people are like, yeah, we knew that. Like what, what kind of do you see usually when that comes up? Um, that's a good question. So from vulva owners, um, we get very often the question, why can't I have an orgasm with my partner? Uh, and I mentioned to you earlier that this is by far the most asked questions that we receive. Um, and it is in almost all cases in the context of heterosexual sex and penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. So they're basically asking, why can't I have an orgasm with my partner when we're having penetrative sex? But it's still the question, like that's not how it feels. It feels like there is something wrong because I can't have an orgasm with my partner. And there it's about um, deconstructing those layers that first sex is not necessary with a partner. So if you're having orgasm when you're on your own, then it seems that you're completely capable of having orgasms. Uh, second, that when you are with a partner, sex should be penetrative, and that's how you should be having orgasm. But if you've had orgasm before or after penetration by other means than penetration, that still counts as a perfectly good orgasm. Uh, then there is this notion that sex should always be about having orgasms, 
Uh, maybe you haven't had an orgasm, but you've had a great time and you've had a lot of pleasure. And that was good sex for you and you were happy with that. But you just, what made you feel unhappy was that you felt that you needed to have an orgasm and that kind of ruined the whole thing for you that you didn't. Mm. Um, so when we share that way of looking at things, uh, vulva owners um, respond super positively because it's basically like, it's very liberating to feel that there's nothing wrong with them. It's very normal. And sharing that stats that I think by now is quite, well known that 75% of vulva owners need clitoral stimulation to climax. It's like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. Like you, you were just doing things that were not gonna, that were not likely to bring you to orgasm. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to engaging with penis havers on that topic, sometimes I do feel some resistance on the topic, but in overwhelming cases, it's more like curiosity because like, oh, like I want to understand better because like, they're not like, like us, they're not taught about anatomy <laughs> and pleasure. And, uh, and again, like the, our culture has really ingrained us with this idea that uh, penetrative sex is going to be what is pleasurable for both parties. So they think that it is going to be as pleasurable for vulva owners as it is for penis havers, which is just not the case. Uh, And that it's not their fault. And we're not saying that there's something wrong with them. We're just saying that there's something wrong with this belief and that this belief that needs to be addressed, uh, not their entire personality. And we're not uh, saying that they're bad people. but in general, like, especially when we've been working with like students, uh, I've always been very hopeful by the reactions uh, that we've gotten, which is obviously people who come to those sex positive spaces, they are, they are quite curious about learning more about that. And they are very open to challenging uh, the way things are. Uh, but they had very positive reactions to it. So I don't want to generalize from that because it is a sample of people. And by the nature of our work and of our platform, we know that we see a sample of people. We don't see all type of profiles. And I think the conversation around the orgasm gap is just a piece of the whole conversation that we're having around gender inequality. and that conversation needs to happen with both genders on board, which is the challenge. So what, one thing that is cool at SmileMakers is we are a diverse team. We have penis havers and vulva owners in the team. We're like, I think now 18 people and we have at least 10 different nationalities in the team. Uh, so being able to have people of different gender, different cultural background, different ages um, is really something that is enriching for the reflection that we're having on human sexuality. Uh, And for sure, like improving, like closing the orgasm gap is gonna come through a conversation between both genders and Mm -hmm. not gonna work if we make half of the population look like they're all evil. Or to blame, yes. Yes. 
using that to, you know, just like you said, using humor to open the door, maybe using the statistic of the orgasm gap to open the door, but we're not living there. This is not where we're making camp. We are still exploring all the other things. So I love that. And I love how diverse your team is. Um, very, very obvious with just a lot of, um, scenarios that you've brought up viewpoints that you've brought up. Um, I, I, I love that. And you, you're very open to, we can only be as good as the research is, you know, there, there's, there's still a big gap in research as well, being representative of, of all the experiences, but I love that that is still, um, a goal of yours to be research centered and, and, you know, not just because the trends are telling us we should do this, let's do it. You have, um, research to back all of that. But uh, for for all of our listeners, you know, where can they find Smile Makers? Um, uh, you know, if they have questions or anything else, you know, what what's the best way to contact you and your team? So you can find us on Instagram at Smile Makers Collection. Uh, same on TikTok, Smile Makers Collection. And on TikTok, we get even more like censorship on TikTok than we do on Instagram. But it is a great platform to publish educational content. Uh, so go find us there. Give us a boost uh, because the more the algorithms see that our content is valuable for people, the better it's gonna allow us to the most. The more it's gonna allow us to publish more. And then on our website, uh, Smile Makers Collection. And on the website, you will find the products, but you will also find access to Volvatox, which is our free sex education program. It's under one hour, it's a series of uh, 12 videos, and it really drive, uh, like walks you through the topic of pleasure versus just orgasm, the topic of pleasure anatomy, uh, the topic of intercourse and outer course, and then the topic of communication. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit developed working with sexology. So um, I really recommend like for people who are curious to understand better or just to who wants to refresh a bit the way they look at sex uh, and center their reflection on themselves because it's the whole point of all that talks. It's really to invite you to be like, okay, so that's my body. That's how I want to explore it. What is important for me? What do I want for myself? How do I want to live my sex life? Um, you can find all that on our website, smilemakerscollection.com. Love it. Wonderful. I'm going to go explore and find out all about that. Um, thank you so much for joining the conversation, Cecile. I really appreciate it all the way from Singapore. Um, and just bring that warm weather over here. I love it, but, um, I really appreciate it. And for all of our listeners, don't forget, we are so close to our 100th episode and we are having our 100th episode party on May 28th. You can still get your tickets at saltysexcast.com. And um, since you're a listener, just use the code ILISTEN um, for $5 off those tickets. And for anyone who's in Utah or wants to travel to Utah, we'd love to all have you. And I just want a big shout out, big thank you to all of our um, Patreon members who have really helped us get our message out and continue to support the podcast financially. If you want to become one of our patrons, you can go to patreon.com forward slash salty sex cast for as little as $5 a month. Hey, and quick tip, um, all of our patrons get two free tickets to our event. 
which is cheaper <laughs> than buying two tickets. So become a patron. Anyway, thank you so much, Cecile. I really appreciate it. Everyone have a great week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Salty Sex Cast. Ready for round two? Find us on Facebook. <laughs>